My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me probably about six weeks ago. I was coming in on Monday morning to work. Uh, Monday's a great day. We pray every morning for you as a church body. Every morning we go through, spend a half hour, go through the list of prayers that show up. And we have different days that we do that prayer. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday as we have those work days. But Monday is a very special day. The reason it's exciting is because we all come together from all the campuses and for the first half hour, we just share all the great things that happened, all the yay gods, all the fun things. We get to hear stories from our different campuses. We get to hear stories even I didn't even know happened at Hillsborough. People came to Christ. People got baptized. Things happened. Some tragedies. We get to hear things to pray about. I'm the guy that stands up in front and I lead it and I put everything on a whiteboard and it's exciting. I love that. Writing all those down. It's, it's actually why I come to work here because Monday morning. It's so amazing to hear all those things. Well, about six weeks ago, I was coming on a Monday morning and it was about five minutes till nine. And if you know me, if you're five minutes early, you're actually late. Okay. And so I like to be early and I'm in charge. So I'm the guy up front. So I don't want to be late, right? That'd be embarrassing to be the boss and not show up on time. I'm coming in, park the car, get out, walk up, go to this door by the office door B, we call it. And as I'm walking in, I see a guy sitting at the bench the little picnic table there. And he's a homeless guy. Got a bicycle there, obviously homeless. And, and I don't know if he's been sleeping there overnight. I don't know anything, but I know this, I have a job to do and I'm going to do it. And I just say, hi, don't really make eye contact. And I grab my card and I pass it by a little magnetic thing. The door unlocks. I go in. Now I'm, I'm slow. Ask my wife. I'm slow. <clears throat> it takes a while to process. So as I'm going through the first door to the do- next door, I'm thinking, okay, something's wrong. What's wrong? You know? And I get in the hallway and I'm realizing I'm wrong. My heart's wrong. And it's like, I hear God say, Hey, you moron, slow down. <laughs> You're going to do ministry. You just passed ministry, right? Uh, I- I'm a busy guy and I'm always looking at the next thing. And, and it just hits me. It's like, oh, Man, I am a moron. Stop and get some water, a little bottle of water, a little power bar from the office. There's some supplies we have for anybody that shows up. I go out there and apologize, introduce myself, find out his story a little bit. And I just said, hey, you know, we'd love to, to care for you. What do you need today? He goes, well, you know, I'd love a meal and love a shower. I go, we've got that. 9.30, the front office opens. I'd love to see you there and help you any way possible. And I go in. And I realize that sometimes I'm too busy to really care. And I I know you're that way too. Um, I know with today's technology, with smart everything, with advancements and everything and schedules everywhere, we have busy lives. We really do. 
We live in a busy age, an information age where there's so much presented to us that sometimes all the work we have to do is overwhelming. I was just talking to one of my friends who just got out of Intel and I asked him, how's it going? He goes, well, which job? I laughed. He goes, well, so far I have four people's job. I had a job and then three people got laid off and they gave me their jobs too. He said, I am overwhelmed. And that's the culture we live in today. That's the world we live in. The pressures that come upon us are great, right? But in the midst of all that, probably like me, you pass ministry on the way to something, right? It's not just our age. It's actually any age. In fact, in the age of Jesus, this was a common issue. This was a real issue. In fact, it was so real that Jesus used it as an illustration of showing mercy, of helping the hurting in their moment of need. Jesus tells a story one day that is very common. That's actually really well known. One of the more famous stories of Jesus. You don't even have to be a church person. You don't have to be a Bible reader to get this story. You already know the story, or at least you know the name of the story. Hospitals are named after this story. Organizations are named after this story. You can tune into the evening news and you hear a person named after this story. It's called the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know it. And today we're going to look at it as an example of how to help those that are hurting. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Now, it's a great story and there's a couple parts. But what I want to do today is look at it from the perspective of the varying responses we can have to people that are in need. And then I want to review it again to see some steps that we can take to actually serve the people around us. So here's the setup to the story. Someone comes up to Jesus and asks a question. Now it says in the text that one day an expert in religious law shows up. Other Bible translators say it, the lawyer. But a lawyer today has a different connotation. But what that meant was somebody who studied the Moses law, the Mosaic law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Someone who studied all the 613 commands of Moses and knew them. They were the expert. If you had a question about, well, it's Saturday, the Sabbath, and my ox has fallen in a ditch. You call up the expert in the law and you say, hmm, what do I do? Well, there's a law for that. Well, my bull has gored someone over here and it's on a Wednesday. What do I do? There's a law for that. There were laws for a lot of things. In fact, by the time Jesus came on, not only were there 613 actual written commands of Moses, the 10 commandments plus there were thousands of commands that the religious leaders had added to that. So having an expert in the law in your family was good because you at least knew what you were supposed to and not supposed to do. One day, one of those guys shows up to Jesus and asks a question. He stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. We don't know if he was testing him in an adversarial position or he wanted to know. He says this, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a really good question. To that, Jesus whipped out his four spiritual laws and have him pray a sinner's prayer. No, this guy seemingly sincere. We don't know. What do I do to inherit eternal life? I want to live forever. This is life to the full now and forever. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? It's, it, first of all, I think this is kind of funny because Jesus, as a Jew, speaking in a Jewish culture and a Jewish rabbi teaching scenario, he never answers a question with an answer. He answers a question with a question. And that, therefore, is the answer. It's really good. So, and, and he asks, he answers the question by asking, what does the law of Moses say? This guy knows what the law of Moses says. He's an expert in this. 
How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Great answer. This guy says, well, if you sum up all the 613 commands of Moses, it's all about having passion for God, your vertical relationship with God, through your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, all focus aspects of your life, all compartments, all areas, all wedges, slices focused on God, loving him with all. And the second is like it. Because of that, you now have compassion for others. Your vertical relationship with God shows up and it's demonstrated through your horizontal relationship with others. You're to love other people as you love yourself, right? That's the great answer. In fact, there's another passage of scripture where someone comes up to Jesus and says, sum it all up. And that's what Jesus says. You're to love God. You're to love others. You're to have passion for God. And you're to have compassion for others. And that's how Jesus responds. Look what he says. He says, right, do this and you will live. Just, just go live it out. Just go put it into practice. But the man wanted to justify his actions. Now you see a little bit of motive here. He wanted maybe to feel good about how he has lived, perhaps even a little smug as an expert in the law. And so he asked this question, so who's my neighbor? Obviously, Mr. Rogers hadn't been on TV yet, so he didn't know the answer to that, right? Sweaters, cardigans hadn't been invented, right? And so Jesus tells a story, and, and it's not necessarily a real story. It might have been. He might have witnessed it. It's just a made-up story. He's a teacher, so he tells stories. And he tells a story to demonstrate for us who is our neighbor, But in the story, we get to see different responses to people that are in need. And because we're in this Heart of Mercy series, today we're going to see how to help people that are hurting. How to come alongside and to help people that are hurting. Well, here's how the story goes. The story starts with this. One of the responses is that one of the guys, one of the characters in the story, decides to keep his distance. And that's something that you and I can do. That's what I did As I was coming in on a Monday morning at sunrise to the praises and prayers, to the staff, to the yay gods, to all the good stuff, I kept my distance because it was safe, right? It's always safe to keep your distance. And in the story, this is what you see. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, this would have made sense to everybody there. First of all, everybody's Jewish that he's talking to. This Jewish culture. Everybody knows the Jewish laws, Jewish society, Jewish geography. If if you think about Jerusalem, it stands almost 3,000 feet above sea level, uh, high on a mountain, on a big hill there. And it's the centerpiece. That's why it it always says in the Bible, you go up to Jerusalem because it's not north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. You're going up. You're going up to Jerusalem. But then just about 17, 18 miles by journey road down is Jericho. But Jericho is almost a thousand feet below sea level, down at the Dead Sea, the lowest spot on the planet. And so a guy is traveling, a Jewish man is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he's on that path, which in many places is very treacherous, very steep, A lot of bends, a lot of curves, a lot of places for people to hide, a lot of places you could fall off. At most, it's a couple feet wide, three feet, four feet wide. Some places, it's actually as narrow as 18 inches. It's a very treacherous path. Now, but to put it into our perspective, it would be like us um, maybe journeying down to Southern California, going into L.A., and it's about one in the morning, and we decide to walk through East L.A., all right? So just think about that, right? Like to take the big inner city problem of crime 
and you add all that and you put that in the deepest, darkest place and you put yourself there. That's the story that Jesus is going to tell. So a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and left him half dead beside the road. He was, he was mostly dead. He was mostly dead for some of you who know that phrase and that reference by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by a priest. He's a Jewish priest. He's in charge of ministry at the temple temples up in Jerusalem. Now, interesting little side note here. The priests were the Sadducees. They were part of the religious class. And as well, the Levites, the temple assistants, they were part of that as well. They were born into, it's their tribe. It's their part of the nationality of being a Jew is their part of working at the temple. But they love to vacation. They love to retreat down at Jericho. Jericho is the lowest spot. Rich, soil's rich. The oxygen, air is rich. It's a paradise down there, right? And so they would go down there. It's kind of like today. It's like, well, I'm going to the coast or I'm going to Sun River or I'm going to go down to Tahoe or I'm going to go to a place that, that's really like the place people want to go and relax. Done all my work. Now I'm going to relax. A priest is on that same road. And as he's on the road, he comes by. But when he saw the man, makes eye contact, lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. This is the easy response. This is the the response that you and I have a lot of times. Sometimes people and their needs are an inconvenience. And that doesn't sound very Jesus-like to say that. You've probably encountered that. You're on your way somewhere. You're on your, your plan, your agenda. And there's a situation, there's a need, and it's not convenient. In fact, sometimes people and their needs are interruptions to our days, right? But the reality is, in God's economy, in his view, they're not interruptions. They're divine appointments. And when you and I take time to stop and serve or care or listen or contribute, we are changed. I mean, they're changed, but we are changed. But truth is many times we keep our distance because it's safe to keep your distance. I mean, after all, what can you do? Right? I mean, how how can you help? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I mean, I'm just one person. How am I going to help Puerto Rico? I mean, they're going to be without power for months. What, what can I do to help Puerto Rico? What, what can I do to help Miami? What can I do to help Mexico with this earthquake and people caught in buildings? What can I do? I'm just one person. I, I, you know, it's on the news feed. It's on the web. It's, it's, it's on the television. It's everywhere we go. But it's overwhelming. Sometimes the situations all around us are bigger than what we can handle, right? Obviously. And sometimes we go into it with a defeated mindset that I can't do anything. So I'm just going to keep going because it's safer for me to keep my distance and go on with what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's one of the responses that we could have. And that's what the priest did. But another person that's involved in the worship of God had a similar or slightly different response. 
You can be curious, but uninvolved because a temple assistant, a, a Levite, someone born into that tribe that helped with the worship of God, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him. You got to give him some props right there. A little credit. At least he saw the dead guy and didn't avoid him. Half dead guy. He went over, looked, but he kept walking. He's curious. But he wants to be uninvolved. Lying there, but he passed by on the other side. Now, again, this is a little humorous because the other side is only a couple feet, right? It's like, I'll just like stay. I'm going to get cooties. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, but you got you to be honest though. These guys are involved in the worship of God. There are laws about dead bodies and things like that. In fact, I was just reading in, um, in the Old Testament, reading through Haggai and Zechariah and all those wonderful books that we've memorized and know where they are. Um, those minor prophets. And it talks about the contamination of a dead body. Okay. That you don't make anything holy, but something can make you unholy. You touch a dead body, it makes you unclean. There are laws about this. And the priests, they're involved in the worship of God. And if they touch a dead body or get near it, maybe they're out for seven days and things like that. So it's, it's really kind of a practical situation, reason that they would stay uninvolved or keep a distance. But let's be honest. That's the very heartbeat of God is to help people that are hurting, right? As the leaders of Israel, as the priests, the temple assistants, they were the ones that were called to care for the needs of those that are hurting. They were the ones involved in cleanliness laws. They were the ones involved in helping and assisting the widows and the orphans and the people in distress. Throughout the Old Testament, you see this call again and again to help those, the aliens and strangers in your midst. The immigrants, the people that come through, that walk through, the people that are hurting, the strangers that come in, you show hospitality to those people. You're to care for those people. You're to show that kind of love. And the leaders should lead by example, right? And yet the only example they provide is that the needs of this person are not important, at least not as important as the needs of where they're going. And that's you and me sometimes, right? There's another response though, and this is the whole point of the story. And it's, you can get close enough to care. You can stop, you can look, and you can feel, and you can get close enough to care. So then Jesus goes to tell the story, the part we know really well. He says this, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Now, again, we don't have a Jewish culture. We don't have a Jewish heritage for the most part. Maybe you do. I know I don't. So it takes me a while to figure out what I would be thinking in this moment, what I would be feeling in this moment. When Jesus is saying words, he wants to elicit a response from us, an emotional engagement with the text. They would have thought something. They would have felt something. They would have agreed or disagreed. They would have, you know, smiled or laughed, or they would have just been struck with horror. And at this moment, they would have been struck with horror because Jesus is going to make the Samaritan the good guy. And the Samaritan is going to be the one that actually helps this man that stops and cares enough to do something about it. But again, this is a little tough for us because we go Samaritan, whatever, Jew, Samaritan are all the same, right? No, they're not. They hate each other. They're at odds with each other. It's a racial fight. It's a a religious struggle. These two groups exist. Samaria is this little enclave of people in the middle of Israel that are half breeds. Half Jew, half Gentile. It goes back to their history of the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's a messy history. And by the time of Jesus, the Samaritans hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Samaritans. The Jews feel they're superior. The Samaritans feel they're superior. They're both smug toward each other. They both have these elitist mentalities. And they would love to destroy the other people. So it's very much a racial issue. In the middle of this crime situation, this social issue of crime, a racial issue shows up. 
And Jesus says a Samaritan walks by. In that moment, you would feel disgust. Because you know what you're going to hear from Jesus is, and the Samaritan takes his knife and finishes the guy off and takes his clothes from him, right? At least he gets something out of the deal, right? That's what you would feel. That's what you would think. But Jesus is going to make the Samaritan the good guy. So whenever you think and read the Bible and study the Bible, you have to figure out how do I take that culture and bring it into modern day culture? And what do I bring across the the bridge of time and culture and language and everything? And so I was teaching this in Rwanda. I was teaching uh, last year uh, a class on studying the Bible, hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible, how to really get everything out of it so you can teach or preach to other people. And I was saying, so let's talk about this in our culture. Now, You would feel something when Jesus said these words. Then a despised Samaritan came by. I said, so in my culture, my history, I could say it like this. In the mid-1800s, 1850, 1860, somewhere in Nevada or Utah, a cowboy is lying half dead on the road. And other cowboys walk by and don't do anything. But an Apache Indian shows up. And gets down and serves this guy in need. You would not feel that's the right response, but that's what happens. Or in the mid-60s, early 60s, late 50s, in the South, in Birmingham, Alabama. White supremacist lying on the ground. KKK, maybe even with the hood still on. And the other whites walk by, but a young African-American man stops and cares for him. I said, in your country, in Rwanda... I said, you go back 20 plus years, you had a a genocide where the majority Hutus tried to completely wipe out the minority Tutsis and they killed estimated a million plus in these hundred days. And yet in the middle of all that, a Hutu is lying on the ground and a Hutu passes by another Hutu passes by, but it's a Tutsi that stops and cares for this man. You get that. I was sharing this with the pastors last week in Israel who pastors our uh, Hispanic Forest Grove campus. He used to be Cornelius. He says, but I still don't get it. I said, well, it'd be like this. A Raider fan finds a Patriot fan on the ground. He goes, oh, that's all I need. I understand now, right? (laughs) You got to feel it. You got to feel it, okay? A Samaritan, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He cared for him going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Each of these elements are important. The guy just has whatever he has with him. He's got a donkey. He's got some, some bags. Maybe it's a pack animal. Maybe he's riding it. We don't know. But he stops. He gets off. He goes up to the guy, sees him, goes back to his donkey, grabs the supplies out of the bags. And this is what he has. He has olive oil, which was used as a medicine. Then he grabs wine, which would be an anesthetic, right? To heal the man, to soothe the man, to calm some of the pain, fear that he has. And then he grabs some bandages and and kind of binds up his wounds. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. This guy shows real compassion, real love when he's the least expected person to actually show that love and compassion. You've got a priest, very important person in the culture, very religious person. You've got a a temple assistant, a Levite, very necessary to the worship of God. Neither of those guys really care enough to do anything about it. And then you have the enemy, the hated person. And he shows up and he becomes the hero. Very upsetting story. 
Not a nice story for the Jewish people to hear because that's not how we would tell the story. We would make our group be the hero, but the other guy's the hero. And these are the responses. These are the ways that we can walk by. These are the ways that we can be involved. The Samaritan, as the sworn enemy, took action when the other guys took off. And that's what mercy does. Mercy stops enough to actually do something about the situation. Yeah, but Pastor James, you know, I don't really know what to do in that situation. I know I'm in the same boat. I mean, how many of us have tried to leave a parking lot at Albertsons or Safeway or Winco and there's a guy or a gal or a family there with a cardboard sign? And what do we do, right? It's uncomfortable and... What do we do? You know, we could roll the window down and say, get a job. Well, that's not going to help, right? We could just say, here's five bucks. But then you're afraid they're probably making a lot of money, to be honest. And they're going to go buy some alcohol. And, and that's not going to help the situation. And, and you're a little disgusted that people are begging. And what do you do? And it's like, you know, you just don't even look, right? Get off the freeway on the on-ramp, off-ramp. Uh, there we go. What do we do? We just not look, right? Or we look. We stop and see, maybe you're driving by and you see a car with a hood up, you know, and you drive by and you look, you slow down enough just to look, but then you, by that time you're too far gone, right? We, we all do those things. We all have those situations that show up. We hear about a need and we go, ah, that's a huge need, but I mean, what can I do really? I mean, I can't solve the problem of homelessness in Washington County. I can't solve the problem of a lack of funds in our schools in Washington County and Hillsborough School District. I can't, I can't do that. I don't have millions of dollars to throw in there, right? I don't, I don't know what to do with the, the prison population. I don't know what to do with the, the jail population as they come out. I don't, what can I do? And many times because of that, we don't do anything because we're shut down. But Jesus is calling us to do something to actually show care, to actually show concern. Mercy isn't about helping people because it's, you know, it's convenient because it never is. Mercy is not about helping people because they're like you because that's not actually showing care and concern. Mercy is about showing up in the moment and willing to be stopped from what we were thinking about doing and taking time to care for that person in that moment. That's all mercy is about. In fact, that's how the story wraps up. (laughs) He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. That's an obvious answer, right? But notice this. All the commentators notice this. This is great. The guy says, the one who showed him mercy, not the Samaritan. Because the Samaritan, I mean, you didn't even want to say those words because you don't want to make the Samaritan the hero. The one who showed mercy, right? Don't even dignify it with the name, the title. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. That's, that's our command this week, my friends. Go and do the same. Go and do likewise. So this week, go and do, right? Just go and as you're going... There are going to be needs that are presented all in front of you, right? There are. If you have your eyes open, if you have your heart open, if you see and you feel, they're going to be there. Just go and do likewise. It might not be super big or like a major thing and some guy's dying on the side of the road and you take him to Tuolity. I mean, maybe not. Maybe you don't have all the skills to do the things. Maybe you feel like, I'm just a teenager. What am I supposed to do, right? I don't have this. I don't have those means. But you can do something. And by doing something, you're doing a major thing in the person who has a need in that moment. Let's go back into the story and let's actually look at some steps of actually caring for people. What could we do? Well, four steps to showing mercy. And the first one is this. 
You just got to see the needs. And, and this is part of my problem. You got to slow down long enough to actually see. And that's what happens. The Samaritan, it says, you know, he stops, he cares, he sees the man and feels compassion for him. That the first thing that you and I need to do if we're living in the busy culture and we're a little bit isolated from all the real needs, and that's a safe place to be, but if we're actually going to do something about the needs that are around us, we, gotta, we just got to see them. We got to be concerned enough to actually look in people's eyes and see that there's a human being there, to see that there's a real need there, to see that there's someone there who really needs your heart, needs your help. Uh, one of the things that I learned a number of years ago, I was going through this evangelism class uh, online and it was great. And, and the guy, he said, you know, you could just ask the question, what's your story? This is probably eight years ago, 10 years ago. And I, I started doing this. I would just meet people and I go, Hey, tell me your story. You know, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story and everybody would love to tell you their story if you'd listen, right? And I've found that. I've never had someone say, I don't have a story. <laughs> and I've never had someone say, I don't want to tell you my story. As soon as I stop and ask people, hey, tell me your story. Their story's right there, right? They don't have to get out their notes. They don't have to get out a little book. It's their story. They know it. First time this ever meant something to me in a huge way. We were driving down to Mexico to build a house. And so I was on a crew that was building a house. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, when you get a bunch of Sunrise guys in a van and you're driving all night long and everything, all kinds of things go on. It's kind of weird, um, but it's fun. And we stop uh, to get breakfast. Oh, to get lunch, actually, on this one. And we're there and we're in the, this McDonald's. And so um, we're there in line and it's lunchtime and there's a lot of people in front and when a bunch of sunrise guys get out of a van we're kind of loud and obnoxious and you know we're hyped up on something and you know sugar and whatever and caffeine and we're there and we kind of bolt into this mcdonald's and take over you know kind of thing and um, people look and I, i'm there and there's a guy an older guy in front of me and i just introduced myself like, yeah well, we're with the sunrise we're you know going down we're going to build a house whatever just you know wh- what do i have to lose the guy's from mcdonald's right he lives in mcdonald's okay he just hangs out at mcdonald's he comes every day i find out with his wife and i go really so tell me your story and in line he tells me his story he tells me his whole life story in line while we're waiting to order our mcwhatever okay and and he's, he's, he's a veteran. He's retired now. He comes every day with his wife. He points out his wife. I wave at his wife. And I go, can I buy your lunch? I buy their lunch. I go sit down with them. She tells me her story. I mean, I'm just stopping at McDonald's, right? On the way to build a house. And then he goes, yeah, well, you know, my brother's a pastor. I go, really? Where does he live? He's in Hawaii and he does weddings. I go, that's awesome. He goes, here, let me call him. He picks up his phone, calls his brother. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to, I want to introduce you to a pastor. They just bought my wife and I. And so I start talking to this guy in Hawaii and I go, what do you do? Well, I marry people and it's kind of like a ministry. I share the love of Jesus by, you know, people come they want to get married and, you know, and, and so all that stuff. And I go, wow, that's, that's awesome. He goes, thanks for loving on my brother and everything like that. I go, cool. If I ever show up to Maui, I'd love to visit you and everything like that. And of course, I'm the last guy to get in the van and they're irritated at me, but it's like this guy had a story and his wife had a story and his brother had a story. And all I did was I stopped enough and asked the question, what's your story? Because there are people all around you that have a story. Try it this week. It will ruin your schedule (laughs) in a really good way, in a really good way. What's your story? Everybody has a story. And if we stop long enough to see the people that are in need. To actually do something about it. You would be shocked at how God will show up. The Bible tells us this. Don't be concerned for your own good. But for the good of others. I mean obviously we have to be concerned. For the things around us and our family and such. But not only for that. We got to add other people to our needs. 
and our lists and our family and our relationships. Number two, we've got to sympathize with people and their pain. We have to see the need, but it's not enough just to see the need. We've got to actually do something about it. We've got to feel the need. We've got to go in there and sometimes we feel like we, you know, we can judge and we know the outcome and why this is. And we can figure out why they got in trouble and all this stuff. But it's like, forget all that. The person is in need. We've got to feel and sympathize with them in their situation. Galatians 6.2 says this, to share each other's burdens, to carry each other's burdens. In other words, we're to get down in the ditch when someone has fallen and shoulder their load is the physical way the word is used there. To share, to carry each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ? What's the law of Christ? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the golden rule that Jesus himself said this. Look what Jesus said. He said, do to others as you would like them to do to you. That's the golden rule. Think about what it would be like if you were there and what you would want. And then just do that and just be that to someone. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And one of the really cool things is you will discover that God puts divine appointments in your path. And it is not a coincidence that as you begin to hear somebody else's need, you discover that you have something to add to that. In fact, the apostle Paul said it this way. He said he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. God ministers to us so we can minister to others. He doesn't minister to you so you're the end. He ministers to you so you're a conduit of blessing to others and comfort to others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. I mean, you look at your life and you list your pains. You list your hurts, your heartaches. We have things at Sunrise like grief share and divorce care. We have AA and NA. I was just talking to a gal last night and she goes, Ah, Pastor James, I want to thank you guys at Sunrise for having NA and, and this and that and everything. And, and I said, Well, how long? She goes, I've been 21 days clean and sober. I'm like, Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. She goes, I sat down with Ken and, and talked about this. It's awesome. But we do all these things because God's done them for us through someone else. And now he's comforted us and healed us. And now we go and comfort others and we're part of healing others. So whatever bad things have happened in your life, God wants to bring those up and heal them and use them as your ministry. And you will discover that in your conversations, God will able to bring something from your life and share with them. That'll help them and encourage them along the journey. Number three, we've got to seize the moment. We've got to actually take charge and do something about it and meet the need. Love is an action. It's not just a feeling. It's not just enough to feel. You have to do something about it. The priest and the temple assistant, they didn't do anything about it. They just ignored. But the Samaritan... He didn't criticize, he didn't condemn, he didn't judge the guy, he didn't preach a message about how you're not supposed to be on this road. He just took action. He used his wine, he used his oil, he used his bandages, he used his donkey, he used his money, he used his time. He stayed overnight with this guy to make sure he was going to make it. And he really truly cared. He seized the moment. I love what Proverbs chapter 3, 27 to 28 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, and don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. Because the need is now. Because God has given you something in your hands, in your pockets, in your heart, in your mind, that you can serve and you can help someone now. We must spend whatever it takes. And this is what this guy did. He took his own energy. He took his own time. He took his own money. He took his own resources. And he actually did something about it. He did what we would think any normal person would do. But he did the abnormal. He gave himself away in doing so. We're told in Isaiah 58, I love this passage. I've been reading it the last couple of years going through. 
because God's upset about the injustices in the nation of Israel. And he says, I want you to feed the hungry to help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Do you want to change your world? Do you want to actually change your world? Find people that have a need and go meet that need in the love of Jesus and brightness will begin to shine. This is so cool. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you'll be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. And you'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever flowing spring. If you want to think about yourself first, you will dry up. But if you put others first, God will always care for your needs. If you put others before your own needs, God will supply you. He will change you. He will shine a light for his kingdom in through you to other people. And it's amazing because I've seen it happen. Your own soul, it says in Proverbs eleven seventeen. your own soul is nourished when you're kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. I know we're not supposed to go into this thinking what's in it for me, but I'm telling you, there's a whole lot in it for you. It really is. There's a whole lot in it for me when I give myself away. When I spend whatever it takes. Matthew 5, 7 says, God blesses those who are merciful. This is Jesus himself. God blesses those who are merciful. For they will be shown mercy. I want to share a story of one of our gals. It was the Cornelius Hispanic. But then it became our Forest Grove Hispanic congregation as they moved over there. And I want you to hear Maribel's story. My name is Maribel. And um, my story started a long time ago um it's just there was a time in my life where i learned about god i knew god and i started a relationship with god and then i don't know where it ended it ended for me god never left me he was always standing by but i had left him and i found myself lost i lost everything i lost my job I have kids and I lost my home. I was in the in the streets basically sleeping out of my car, begging for food and everything else and um I kept praying and God kept answering, but I didn't like the answer. I didn't want to put the work into it. I just wanted instant gratification. I was driving by Cornelius Elementary one day and out of nowhere I there was a sign outside and it was Sunrise Church and it was like yeah we'll go there but then it was like no we got so much stuff to do we went home and we were debating whether yes or no we had no gas we had we had nothing and we went with yes we're gonna go and we went we got there and the first thing we got when we got there was a feeling of love and and that everything was going to be fine. It was super embarrassing because we had nothing and something in our hearts just told us to ask for what we needed. And I'm talking like material stuff. I'm not talking like emotional stuff because that connection was already happening, but I'm talking like material stuff. Like something inside was just saying like, tell them what you need, just tell them what you need. And it was super embarrassing, but I did. We'll never forget how humbling it was. And it's just full of shame for where I came from. But I didn't get any judgment. I didn't get anything but love. And everybody just hugged and touched and told me it was gonna be fine. And 
God was going to provide in that same very, that very day. Cornelia's Sunrise gave me some of the stuff I needed and what they didn't have. It took me to Forest Grove Sunrise and we got it. And from that moment on, we gave our life to God, not just our life, our souls, our our body, our our mind, our everything, everything we gave it to him. And I now have a job. I have a house, a house of my own, not a room, not sleeping out of a car. My kids have their own room. We have something that we can call our own. We eat every day. Our bills are paid and we get to give back today. So for you that are out there and are lost and whatever it is you're doing, it doesn't matter. All you need to do is just come to God and trust him that he's got you because he really does. He has me, He he's had me, but I had to let him have me. That's all you need to do. Just trust in him and have faith. He's not a lying God and he's always going to keep his promises. I didn't know Maribel. I, I heard, you know, that we were going to record her story. I, I took a week, set up all this video gear in the alcove out at Forest Grove campus and had it all ready a studio. And we had people come through and Kevin and I were there and coaching people and getting stories. And I'm just getting blessed because I'm hearing these stories. And, and Kevin and I were waiting and waiting and waiting. And Maribel shows up. We record the story. I'm just blown away by her joy of Jesus. She's found Jesus. And then uh, the next day, it's time to tear the studio down. I need some help. It took a long time. And so I grabbed my, my wife and kids and, and we go out there and it's like, you know, let's, let's stop and, you know, get everybody an ice cream. Cause it's a, it's a reward if you do it afterward, but it's a bribe if you do it before. So we gave it to him before and we stop at McDonald's. It's a long line. It's taken a while. And we get up there and guess who hands us the ice cream? It's Maribel. <laughs> so cool. Filled with joy. The next week she drops a prayer card in. She's praying for her coworkers to receive Christ. She's sharing the gospel last Sunday, her husband and her mother received Christ. It's amazing. And it just took love. It just took stopping in the moment and for someone to be able to see the need that was right in front of them and caring for someone. You never know the kind of difference you're going to make in people's lives. Now, whenever I'm in the stories of the Bible, whenever I'm studying them or, or teaching and preaching them, I like to ask the question, you know, who am I like in the story right now? Who am I most like? And I would say that some of us are, are like, you know, the, the priest We're too busy. We just keep our distance. Some of us are, are like the, the temple assistant, the Levite. We're concerned enough to check it out, but we just keep going because what can we do, right? And I would say some of us are like the Good Samaritan. We've actually stopped and we've helped people in need. And we can identify with those and maybe we can even feel a little good or maybe a little guilty about our responses of the past. But actually, I think the real answer of who we most like in the story is one we don't think about. We're most like the guy lying on the side of the road half dead. Because the Bible says that every one of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard, his rule, his glory. We've all fallen short, far, for, far short of that. And every one of us have, um, really, the Bible says, become an enemy of God. That's offensive to sound because, you know, to say that because I'm not an enemy, right, of anybody. Well, the Bible says we're spiritually dead. We're born into this world dead, separated from God. And spiritually, we need life. And the only way to get that life is by God. But we fight God and we wrestle with God and we oppose God. And yet all he's done for us is to love us. And the good Samaritan, that's actually Jesus. 
Jesus has come and he's found us lying by the side of the road, left for dead, beat up by the world, pounced upon by the enemy. The Bible says, in fact, Jesus' own words, he says, the thief, Satan, the devil himself has come to steal and kill and destroy. And he's done that in so many people's lives. And yet Jesus has come to give life in all its fullness. So you and I, we're, we're the dead guy, almost dead guy, mostly dead guy by the side of the road. And it's only Jesus who stopped to really care for our needs and to pick us up and to bandage up our wounds and to bring healing and to bring the cure to what we really need, which is his own life given for us. I want to pray for you now. I want to pray for people like me who've been a follower of Christ for many, many years. And then people maybe like you who have yet truly to meet God yet. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the story, uh, the picture of the Good Samaritan. Wow, it's such a powerful story. We need it. Thank you for giving us such a clear picture of what mercy looks like in the flesh. What mercy is truly like. That we could help people that are hurting. Father, put us directly in the path of a person in need this week. God, in those moments, we may think we don't have the time. We don't think we have the skill or the money or the motivation. God, put us in that place where it's undeniable that you have brought us in to be an agent, a minister of mercy to someone today. Whatever barriers we've erected to protect ourselves, to isolate ourselves, to even maybe be smug and judge other people. Lord, may we tear those down, reveal the truth of our heart. Cause us to have eyes to see the needs of the people around us. The heart to sympathize with those in their pain. The hands to seize the moment and to actually show the mercy and the resolve to spend whatever it takes to see this person brought to wholeness and healing. God, for some of us in this room today, the truth is it's Jesus who's the good Samaritan who's come alongside of us. Maybe we've come to see ourselves as you see us, dead in our sins, left by the side of the road. Today would be a great day, God, for us to meet you. For us to come to this point of crying out to the greatest Samaritan, Jesus himself, to bring his healing. He's already paid the price. He's willing to carry us and to bring the healing into our lives. He's the ultimate heart of mercy given to us. God, may we not turn away from the high price that you paid to bring us salvation. That's Jesus himself. We pray in his name. Amen.